Hi, and welcome to the eighth episode in our series, Unite for Small. We are super excited about this particular one because we're going to be covering a slightly different angle on, on this uh, topic of post-pandemic business. We often, when we think post-pandemic business and difficulty and challenges, we often think of the very small companies, the very small businesses. And yes, this is Unite for Small. So there has been a very um, strong emphasis on the plight of small businesses. However, in a country like ours, um, the truth is the, 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 the purest definition of um, small to medium business does extend quite far up into the economy. So we find some of the more larger established brands still classifying as the small to medium segment in our country. And with that in mind, we wanted to pay, pay um, special attention or let's just say a little bit more intention, uh, attention to the plight of the more medium business sector in um, South Africa. So we wanted to look at what are some of the challenges that this uh, segment experiences uh, or is experiencing right now, taking into account that historically, certainly for the last uh, five to 10 years, this particular segment in South Africa has experienced very sizable, very significant growth. So it has big, big, it's had a very big um, effect and um, contribution to, this, to the South African economy. With that in mind, I am very happy to have really good experts, representatives of this sector. They come uh, with um, wealth of experience in dealing with the sector, understanding the needs of the sector, and working closely with the sector to make sure that business continues to thrive and expand. Um, before I do any kind of um, you know, half-hearted introductions, I'm going to have the guests introduce themselves. We will start with um, ladies first. Tessa, please tell us about your background. Morning, Drushan, and hi to all those that, that are listening. Thanks for tuning in. I am Tessa Clark. I head up sales and marketing team for Adapt.it SAP division. And a little bit about myself. I grew up in KZN on a beautiful sugar farm in Zilliland. And in 2008, I was offered an opportunity to be part of a graduate program with a leading brewery here in South Africa. So I packed my bags, moved to Joburg, and started to embrace big city life. I, as I grew and progressed through my career, I got to be in some challenging and fun roles across business analysis, uh, planning business and technical cutovers. I've done business engagements, uh, process enablement, and, and I've got to travel to some really beautiful countries through the work I do and meet some really, really interesting people. Um, it's, it's amusing how the wheels turn. So I, I started in marketing, sales, and distribution uh, team on an IT functional side. And now, 12 or so years later, I find myself doing marketing and sales on the business side for an IT company. This is fantastic. You know, um, Tess, I'm not sure whether you know, but on the prior two episodes of this particular series, um, we had a lot of talk about beer. And I think that this may have something to do with the fact that, um, you know, you are now appearing on the show as someone who was a graduate in uh, breweries, you know, in the area of uh, brewing beer. So it's all very aligned with our core message of the show, which is, Beer is good. Um, let's <laughs> let's move to Nishith. Nishith, tell us about your background. Um, Kirishan, uh, uh, I've done half the continent, and SAP has always stayed very close to my heart. Uh, I started uh, uh, from a background perspective. You know, I started my career back in India, and uh, from there, then moved to Southeast Asia. Uh, sitting in Singapore covering the uh, Southeast Asian market, from there to Europe, uh, uh, from there to South Africa, back in, to Middle East from there. 
and back to South Africa last year. So, so I feel very great about South Africa. Uh, settled here now, uh, uh, running a practice uh, uh, with Adapt IT. Uh, so yeah, you're talking to someone who has covered half the continent, and uh, and my background is uh, more uh, of uh, techno functional on SAP. Uh, but yeah, of course, with a business cap uh, on my head. Right, of course. Can't get away from, um, you know, the business mandate. So let's let's go back to Tessa for a second. Um, Tessa, uh, what made you specialize in this particular area of technology or in this particular area? <laughs> it's, a, it's a funny story, KG. So I was about standard nine and I sat down with my dad and I told him proudly I wanted to be a photographer. Um, and he, he took it well. He, he calmly looked at me and, and gave the correct answer from, from any dad should give you. And that was, Tessa, you can be whatever you want to be. Um, but he followed it with, you will first study and pass a BCom. <laughs> so, so I took that, rationalized it to myself, told myself that a commerce background would, would help me run this photography company that I was dreaming of. And so I went off and studied a BCom. And I remember sitting in an information systems lecture one day and we were discussing process mapping, uh, business modeling, and, and something just, it, it just clicked for me. There was this interest that I'd never found in a subject before. And um, it kind of ignited a bit of a passion. It, it showed in my marks. I was lucky and selected to do IS honors after that. And, and then when I started working real life <laughs> business, you, well, I got exposed to getting to map these business scenarios, and I just love kind of pulling the pieces together, solving those business problems, and, and really creating value. And then from the SAP side, I was, I was fortunate. I was exposed to SAP very early in my career, and it's been an interesting relationship with SAP and myself uh, from a business side. But at the moment, uh, they've got a big drive and focus on intelligent enterprise, and that's, that really excites me, and, and that's the future. That's awesome. I'm I'm personally very familiar with the concept of um, do whatever it is that you want, just get your degree first. <laughs> um, Nisheth, tell us about you. What made you specialize in this area? Listen, specialization is a very misleading word. Uh, at least in the SAP arena where uh, the length and breadth of the solution is unknown to anyone. Uh, you know, it can, uh, uh, it can, it can work wonders if you, if you really specialize into SAP. Uh, my journey in SAP started back uh, uh, sometime in 2000, and I've been uh, into different roles, technical roles, functional roles, uh, and uh, then finally into business uh, uh, where I run. Uh, I have, uh, in addition to SAP, worked on this, uh, setting up practices for digital transformation. I've worked on the IT governance uh, uh, assignments. I've helped clients with the cybersecurity initiatives, but SAP somewhere stayed very close to my heart. Uh, so yes, over two decades uh, uh, of, of business experience with SAP and uh, yeah, today I'm trying to uh, get the ROIs uh, uh, of, of this specialization in SAP, running a practice here with Adapt. Uh, uh, we, we, we feel proud uh, uh, in what we do as SAP. Yeah, if, if that can be taken as a specialization, then yes, uh, we do specialize in, uh, in the SAP business. Yeah, I have to agree, Nishit. You know, in today's world of technology, I was actually talking about this with some of my friends that, you know, even if you take one particular area of technology in today's world, it's hard to call oneself a specialist because there's so much depth under absolutely every pocket that one can just be a specialist in the smallest area. And even if you're looking at one subject matter or one piece of technology, it's hard to even, you know, promise or um, 
you know, make the claim that one is a specialist even across that entire technology, just one piece of technology. It is quite a stretch in today's world. Now, for those of you who have just joined, um, we do, uh, we, you know, we have fantastic guests. You've just missed the introductions. If you, you know, if you've just joined over the last couple of seconds, you would have missed the introductions. Um, but that shouldn't stop you from enjoying the value that our guests will be sharing over the next little while. Um, today's show is a lot of fun. We're going to be talking about the plight and the experience of the upper mid-market in South Africa. We've uh, put a lot of focus on small business in this post-pandemic environment. And now we're talking still within the SME framework, slightly higher up the market. Um, we're going and talking about what are the more established businesses doing, the businesses that are not um, the very large enterprises with a lot of red tape. Um, even though they are a bit smaller, they, they still have to conform to a lot of policy. You know, it isn't as easy to make um, dramatic change as it is in a much smaller firm. So these are the unique dimensions of the segment. It's also a very high growth segment for our country. So a very, very vital segment for our economy and our prosperity as a nation. Um, please uh, become part of the show by putting your questions and comments uh, into the Q&A box. This is the hallmark of the show. We really make your voice part of our conversation. So, you know, uh, the, the, the best part about attending or visiting or participating on this show is that you get a chance to have your voice heard. I will ensure that every comment or question becomes part of the dialogue in some way or another. All right, so let's get straight into the meat of this discussion. Or should I say the heat of this discussion? Not quite sure uh, which one yet. Let's let's have um, Tessa give a, you know give us some insight into that. Um, so the the upper mid market uh, Tessa has demonstrated a very strong growth, as I mentioned earlier, in South Africa for a number of years. Um, the pandemic would no doubt have affected this. How has this happened? Yeah, so most organizations like ourselves um, had been looking up to the upper mid-market space. As we all know, good, grace, good growth was achieved in the sector for many years, and, and the pandemic has clearly impacted this. As a software and service business operating in Africa and globally, we can clearly see our customers are, are facing challenges in the market in this tough economy. We see their pain. Uh, we see what they're facing and the impact that this, this um, demand has on them. Yes, it varies from sector to sector, and it will obviously depend on how the lockdown levels have impacted their business operations. And we're finding as a whole, the larger entities, of course, they were, they were built, they had that bigger base that could withstand this type of corruption. But most companies have had to reorganize themselves, remodel, and find efficiencies in the way that they operate in order to survive. The situation has improved, um, and it, but this will continue for a while, right? What we see is uh, business and markets adapting and recovering over time. Okay. Okay. This is very good insight. Um, and so, so let's just double click a little bit more into this point of risk. Uh, what are some of the real risks facing the sector? So, KG, I, I was in a webinar last month, weren't we all, right? <laughs> but the, the guest speaker was covering kind of the future and the new normal approach. And his key takeaway was that the biggest risk for any company at the moment is not changing. And this really is, it's, it's real and significant. So many companies are literally just trying to survive day by day. This pandemic has created um, immense risk to both public and private organizations. And these companies are grappling with so many new concepts, new business models, 
this suddenly distributed workforce, which comes with its own complexities within South Africa, right? This whole new trust that we have to get into with our teams and the people we work with, um, this widespread uncertainty and disruption. And then you pair this all with the decline in international trade, travel, domestic consumption. It's, you know, it's been a bit crazy. And then, then I hate to be the messenger here, but survival is only going to get companies through the short term, right? Companies have to change. They have to adopt a digital mindset and new technologies to create themselves opportunities in the new world. And and I'm not just talking about Microsoft Teams and kind of giving your employees a data sim and, and you think you've changed and adapt. It's, it's imperative that companies are focusing on digitalization, on innovation, and, and, and moving into this future. At Adapt.T, we pride ourselves in, in um, empowering organizations to drive better performance, provide better experiences, and, and ultimately support them in achieving more. We work closely with uh, IT structures and uh, within our clients, and gone are the days of your IT-driven agendas, right? IT needs to be driving value, and we need to look to partner with our clients to ensure value creation. Um, yeah. this, this risk topic, I could honestly, I could go on and on. We could, we could do this for an hour, but the key takeaway is companies need to change to survive. Yeah, yeah. And I really like the point there that um, it isn't just about handing an employee um, a data SIM card um, and just maybe equipping them with uh, some additional teleconference facilities. Um, and I think that the reality is that we did step into this um, pandemic environment on a very um, you know, ill-prepared basis. We had to make a transition in two days. Yeah. So the reality is that we believed that we just had to do whatever we could do within that time frame. And then after that, because nothing really broke, we persisted in that slipshod um, temporary format for a very long time. And I think that right now, businesses are starting to realize and leaders are starting to realize that the actual consequences of remote work extend beyond just the technology infrastructure, the bare minimum, just to keep the show on the road. There is there's an element of the people dimension and there's an element of process that needs to be thought with in greater depth um, in order to make this whole thing work. So I love all the points that you've raised there. Um, so on this note of extending beyond just techno uh, technological capability, we do know that a lot of people have been talking cloud. And in fact, I myself have heard a number of people say that remote work equals cloud, uh, meaning um, in order to make a remote work possible, you need to have some kind of cloud infrastructure in place. Now, this may or may not be fully true. That's a whole other discussion on the subject of um, platform, which I'm not going to really get into. However, I would like, Anishit, for you to give me some comment here. There, is, there has been a lot of pressure towards cloud, you know, because of this whole uh, pandemic situation and remote work. So we had to now start thinking more about cloud than we did before. However, some of these companies, especially in this upper mid-market segment, the more established segment, it has been impractical to, to move everything over into the cloud. There has been this you know, slight uh, worry or caution around moving everything to the cloud because of a variety of factors. Um, and then obviously moving the ERP of a company to the cloud, you're moving the heart, it's, you know, it's, the heart, it's a mini heart transplant for the business. Um, just tell us a little bit more about this cloud decision-making in this upper mid-market uh, segment. Completely with you, Kerushan. Uh, if you remember, you know, in fact, I liked your speech. You also touched that point, you know, quick changes. Uh, uh, the quick changes that we also saw a movement on people's digital transformation journeys. You know, uh, people started expediting their initiatives, whatever they were doing. 
and cloud became a very important uh, aspect of the digital transformation journey. Uh, in my views, these movements of extraordinary challenges is testing our collective will. We all know this. But we have, what we notice is it's also bringing out the best of our collective humanity. Uh, you know, the situation is a little fluid. Uh, if you see considering the COVID-19 impact and we all working now from home, uh, trying to still access whatever we can. Uh, so we're looking at efficiencies. You know, I, I definitely feel the world is no doubt navigating through an uncertain period with few precedents. Uh, to this extent, you know, uh, since I work with SAP and SAP is close to heart, we all know SAP is committed to helping customers move forward from COVID-19 for their employees, customers, their businesses. And we also saw a movement on that side, uh, uh, a, a, a true cloud push. Uh, you know, it, it became important for the organizations to stay resilient at the same, same time, you know, uh, address the challenging environment uh, by staying agile. Uh, large or small, you know, coming to the point where we're talking middle uh, uh, segment enterprises, you know, large or small, each contribution uh, matters in fight against COVID-19. Uh, each segment struggle, not just the uh, middle segment businesses, even the large enterprises and the small enterprises. Uh, to support, uh, uh, even when we talk of ERP and talking specifically of SAP, which we saw SAP uh, establishing a 3 million COVID-19 emergency fund. Uh, uh, and, and, and increasing support to social sector partners globally. Uh, to us, uh, as the implementers and organizations which actually cater to the agenda of SAP, plus their customers, yeah, uh, we saw to this extent uh, uh, cloud enables flexibility, scalability. Uh, SAP also pushed that agenda, supported customers, adopt uh, SAP, uh, the cloud, uh, cloud deployments. Uh, and what's state critical uh, uh, to companies right now is to make sure that the business stays viable and that employees are healthy, positioned for success. Uh, and in that, uh, of course, a component of ERP, which is a business system for any organization to keep supporting them, uh, keep involving them, uh, keep helping them with what they do on a day-to-day -day basis. So we saw we saw uh, cloud adoption, uh, 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 which, which took a front seat and we also saw a lot of uh, customers thinking of ERPs on cloud and SAP to be no exception. Uh, we saw a push of customers who were thinking of doing something around SAP suddenly saying, okay, we can uh, adopt a cloud model and can have a uh, have an ERP system which can uh, work uh, for us. The deployments were faster considering that uh, you've now got accelerators uh, uh, available to us. And, and yes, uh, so cloud adoption is a reality. It happened. Pandemic, uh, I guess, pushed that agenda uh, much faster. Uh, and yes, we're seeing, we're seeing, we're sitting in clouds today. Yeah, a hundred percent. So you know, on that note, um, regarding um, the movement of cloud, you know, the movement um, towards cloud more aggressively, particularly when we look at ERP, I think that um, there's a lot of dimensions to be considered, and I think that a lot of business owners, business leaders, are in the process, in the throes of making, you know, very significant decisions regarding um, how they move their infrastructure or how they move their applications into the cloud, and the question as to whether or not to move a heavy, um, you know, deeply customized on-premise uh, deployment into the 
the cloud is top of mind and definitely something that a lot of business leaders are speaking about right now. So this is the time, guys, if you do have those questions, if you do have thoughts, worries, concerns, you are talking about relevant providers, you are exploring your options of how you can allow your remote workforce to access your critical business applications. Now's the time to put your questions forward to us. Um, you're welcome to reach us uh, either on the link that will be provided towards the end of the show. Um, or you could just put a question right now into the question and answer box and we will I will personally ensure that we respond to everything that comes through. Okay, so Nishith, I think we just scratched the surface here. Let's let's start confronting some of the more difficult questions that business leaders are facing. And that is, um, tell me about uh, price. Is it in fact cheaper to move to the cloud? Uh, a question that I come across very frequently, uh, uh, Kirishan. Uh, yes and no. Uh, if you really uh, go wrong, uh, it could wind up costing you more if you do not approach cloud uh, carefully. Uh, having said that, uh, it doesn't mean that you will not like to adopt the benefits uh, uh, cloud brings, uh, cloud deployments bring. And, uh, and, and, and in true sense, it's a viable option, uh, depending on what you're trying to move to cloud. Uh, to truly uh, weigh the benefits of cloud, you would have to look beyond the opportunities for the hard cost reductions. I mean, that's that's I always tell all my customers. Sometimes they agree, sometimes they uh, like to have brainstorming sessions, but that has been my statement for a long time. Uh, you can acknowledge the soft cost savings that can be realized from cloud's valuable benefits, such as greater developer agility, faster time to market, uh, scalable hardware, which means you pay for what you use. But that necessarily does not mean that the cloud comes cheaper always. Uh, it has its own benefits. Uh, let's look into some of those. You know, cloud computing brings natural economies of scale. Uh, the practicalities of cloud computing mean high utilization and smoothing of inevitable peaks and throws and workloads. Uh, you know, rather than using a dedicated server that you own as a business, you have to maintain and pay for regardless of the demand. Right? And we saw that demand going down during uh, COVID time. Uh, so at that time, the shared server infrastructure becomes uh, becomes uh, more effective and beneficial. And that's where the cloud adoption uh, comes, right? Uh, so I would say, you know, this allows the cloud computing providers to optimize the hardware needs of their data centers, which means as a customer, you're not paying for idle infrastructure, which results in lower operating costs for you, right? And, and that's the benefit. Uh, when you run your own localized data centers and servers, you need to buy more hardware than you need in case of failure. In extreme cases, you need to duplicate everything, having spare hardware lying idle just in case uh, of a failure, which may be expensive, right? And, and, and those are areas which can actually be addressed uh, by moving to cloud. So, so I go back to my answer of saying yes and no. Uh, if you really work out the architecture right, it can be more uh, it can be it can bring more business benefits rather than saying uh, it will be cheaper to move to cloud. Uh, so let's adopt cloud. That's not the right approach of moving to cloud. Right. Um, this is very good uh, insight. And it's something that I personally, you know, it's a topic that I feel very strongly about. I must confess it's a topic that I've often talked to many audiences about. If we really start uh, digging deep into that aspect of costing, we realize that on-premise isn't actually a once-off because a lot of these uh, decision makers are finding that they are comparing uh, a, a, you know, a single CapEx expense with an ongoing OpEx expense. However, it's, it's important to also note that even a non-cloud environment, a fully on-premise environment is in fact still 
an OPEX cost plus a CAPEX cost. It's not a pure CAPEX right. cost. Uh, you know, there's a number of those ongoing costs that, you know, inside your, your, um, your answer to that question, there were a number of line items there that when we really go and inspect, they persist month by month. You know, there's the, um, there's the personnel aspect, which is certainly a, a monthly um, cost. There's, you know, insurances. There's several line items of costs that persist on an OPEX basis. So I think that when we, when we truly go and reflect on this uh, cost um, point, we need to do an, an all-up um, inspection to see what are all the consequential costs of staying on-premise, which include all of those um, OPEX line items, whether it's on the people side, whether it's on the security side, whether it's on the insurance side. They might be hidden under other broader costs like your payroll cost or your insurance cost, but these are all as a result of uh, keeping your assets on site, and these these costs are often neglected. So this is this is really good conversation here, Nishith. Um, so, so taking into account all what we've said so far, what are some of the things that would hold, um, you know, a company, a company back from moving to the cloud? Uh, I can smile and say four words, security, control, cost, and availability. Uh, you know, the parameters that actually drive the entire cloud world. Um, and the concerns are, are genuine. I will not say the concerns are not genuine. Uh, what people uh, sometimes and businesses sometimes forget is they can be addressed. It's not that they can't be addressed, right? Depending on the model of cloud deployment that you actually uh, take for your business, right? Uh, and, and to throw some light into it, let's say I, I spoke of those four areas, right? Security, control, cost, and availability. Se let's, let's look at security. You know, these public cloud providers, what are they doing? Uh, the public cloud providers, uh, uh, they, they have come up with a model where they're now offering extensive security measures. Uh, but on the other side, we know, you know, many of them make it difficult to use these differences uh, by the nature of the deployment in itself, uh, by the number of tenants that they host. Uh, you know, the very nature of public cloud infrastructure allows data to be accessed uh, from anywhere, right? Uh, and data often must travel exposed to open internet when, it, when we're talk on, talking of public cloud. Uh, which leaves it vulnerable to theft or infection by malware. And, and businesses have realized this. So that's their concern around security. Uh, is that holding back? Uh, I would say yes, it's holding back to moving to public cloud. But, but you have an option of private cloud. You have got options of hybrid models, uh, which can further be explored. Uh, coming to controls, you know, for today's companies, few assets are more valuable than the, the data. And what is more important is where it is located. Uh, how is it managed and where it goes. Uh, and uh, that level of control often isn't possible in public cloud, right? So again, the option of moving to private clouds or, or having hybrid models. Uh, what made it more difficult, uh, uh, I would rather say uh, it was healthy for uh, the customers. What, what made it a little difficult for the businesses to get right uh, in terms of cloud deployment were also laws uh, uh, and regulations, right? We saw GDPR coming into play. Uh, which actually tied up our, our hands in saying, can we move to cloud? Uh, if we move to cloud, what is it that we will need to comply with? So, so those kind of control questions still stay in business minds. They say, okay, let's just stay on-prem um, rather than actually getting into complications where we can, uh, where authorities can put penalties on us, right? Uh, coming to the cost part of it. Aside from the ease of use, one of the key benefits of public cloud is that it's relatively inexpensive. Uh, for companies that are just starting out and can't afford the upfront expenses of servers, storages, and other physical IT infrastructure, public cloud computing offers a simple and quick solution that won't break their budget. You know, at a certain point, however, 
and tying back to my previous point, the public cloud ceases to be cost-effective solution. Uh, you may find that you are, uh, you probably your spend is the same, uh, but by the time you have realized the benefits of the cloud, so 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 I would say people should give themselves uh, a chance to see what benefits cloud can bring to their businesses. And uh, touching on the last aspect of availability, uh, you know we have come to a level where we need everything. We just had a uh, voltage fluctuation in our office, and and the fear of uh, we losing this webinar, right? So. Availability, right? Availability has become such a big issue that we want everything available at all times. And uh, I touched about this in the previous point, but we all know that data availability is crucial to the success of any organization. Uh, server downtimes can affect business operations, leading to reduced productivity, lost opportunities, and lastly, uh, it can also tarnish your brand image, right? If you if you don't have access to your data when it is needed. So while public cloud providers claim the benefits of being able to access data from anywhere in the world, that access doesn't amount to much if the provider is experiencing system downtime. And the system downtime is directly proportional to availability for a lot of businesses. Uh, so yes, uh, uh, these are four areas which I feel are concerns to businesses and which is holding them back from moving to a cloud uh, environment. Yeah, yeah, very well summarized and very, very comprehensive. Uh, you know, a lot of uh, much deeper insight, to be honest, than I even thought of. And I think that, you know, um, this is a reality. We, re we really do need to recognize that there is a situation facing the segment right the second. Um, it is not as easy as we we try to make it out to be. You know, a lot of the messages, particularly from the vendors, the, the big multinational vendors is, you know, it's an aggressive move to cloud, move to cloud. And while that might be very sensible um, on paper, there is a journey and, um, uh, you know, it's often called a journey to the cloud. Um, these are very um, realistic problems and challenges that a lot of our leaders are facing. How do they plan out that journey? Are they making the right choices? Are they using the right format of end-user computing? Are they exercising all of the options available to them, or are they just going blindly into one solution or one type of format alone? Um, so all great discussion here. I want to just start taking a few questions that are, uh, that are uh, coming through. Um, I'm very grateful that uh, we have some good comments and questions coming through. Um, and this note is to our audience. Please keep that coming through. Become part of our conversation. Make the best of having our uh, expert guests with us this morning. Um, so, so feed your questions through. You will be part of the conversation if you do so. All right, Adil says here, one of the biggest holdbacks of remote work is trust. Managers simply don't trust their people to work untethered. Um, they're used to managing by counting um, uh, butts and seats rather than by results. That's, that's uh, certainly a valid point from a culture point of view. And I think we can probably pick up um, on that uh, later on when we talk a little bit more about people. Um, Adil goes on to say that if people are forced to work at home for an extended period, as it appears they will be, managers will have to learn that it's results that matter. Yeah, so definitely an important point in terms of, um, you know, setting up to be a little bit more of an output oriented company and i think that you know we will address all of these topics over the next little while as we get deeper into some of the the, the subjects that we will cover today um there are certain realities from a people aspect from a management aspect that we need to think of that extend beyond just technology i think technology must provide the workflow to make to make all of these people things um you know get addressed better and then uh, we have Noko who says, who asks the question, and then we'll see who, which of our guests would like to take this question. Uh, the question is, what's the impact of Poppy on cloud adoption? Uh, what is available to mitigate? I think this is a very, very broad question. Um, as it turns out, we do have some material that could perhaps be of help to you, um, Noko. Um, you know, please, when you, when we, when we. Um, 
when we send the link on the chat box, uh, which we I expect we will do very shortly, um, please click the link and request that you get some help or you get some information after this webinar on this particular point of Poppy and cloud adoption. I will, however, give um, Nishith um, an early opportunity to maybe respond um, if this is something, Nishith, that you would like to do during the show, or we could take it up after the show. So the question is, what's the impact of Poppy and cloud adoption, and what is available to mitigate? Uh, Kirshen, uh, this topic has, uh, uh, has uh, again, you know, the way I spoke about cloud, the, uh, these are not new concerns. They have, they have been there. And people keep asking this question. Let me not, not uh, uh, take Poppy. Let me just go even more broader with GDPR, right? Poppy, we have known. Poppy has been with us for years. Uh, uh, there were straight answers to questions. There were straight checklists available. Uh, if you can really comply, to, you can move to cloud uh, if you comply to everything, right? But let's look at GDPR in itself, right? Which is a big brother probably of Poppy. Uh, GDPR came and, and let me take uh, an area where there were no regulations at all. Poppy has been in South Africa, right? Some countries always had their data protection bills. Let's talk of Middle East, which had nothing. GDPR comes, everyone by the time in their transformation journeys had clouded the core and now don't know what to do with it because now we're dealing with data uh, which has to probably move out and they don't know, uh, you know, sometimes when you adopt to a cloud service, you don't know where all it is getting replicated. So sometimes when I went into those discussions and spoke to uh, uh, customers, they said, oh, we are very really happy to adopt cloud, but now there are data regulations uh, or compliances which are, uh, which are bothering us. What do I do with it? My question to them was, uh, okay, uh, I understand the anxieties, but have you really gone back to your cloud service provider and have this chat? Uh, the first that I opened for a customer was uh, 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 was with the OEM, and the OEM comes back saying, "Oh, okay, yes, uh, we know we have been doing this. We were ready for it. GDPR is not new for us. Uh, uh, we knew what is going to come in it. We have been working uh, on how do we comply with the requirements. Uh, this is the checklist available that you need to fill. Give it to your." Uh, uh, authorities, and uh, then you get approval to move uh, uh, to cloud. And the same applies to Poppy, right? Uh, if you know what you're trying to comply with, there are solutions available. And that's where I spoke of those models. You know, we just uh, if you just stay in the public uh, uh, cloud, maybe some questions may be difficult. But if you look at other deployment models where you can, you have option of going hybrid. What data do you really uh, keep out? What you keep in? Uh, or a private cloud, which is just yours, where you straight away anyways comply. Uh, I don't see challenges. I, I feel there is a way that you can actually go and adopt cloud. Right, right, right. Okay, so, um, you know, I think that um, inside of your um, answer there, you did cover a degree of uh, remedial action. So I think uh, what, what I'm going to do now is I'm just going to go ahead and jump over to Tessa quickly. And... Um, you know, um, just start addressing some of the more specific challenges head on. Um, Tessa, tell us, in terms of payroll in the cloud, you know, um, what are some of the challenges? KG, yeah, a bit of a hot topic. Yeah. From, from our experience, there's been slow adoption for HCM in the cloud, specifically in, um, in Africa, and for your mid and upper tier enterprises. And, and there's valid reason for it, right? When we talk payroll, we're talking highly sensitive employee data. So big concern aligned with what Nishit was saying around security. Then if you look at uh, certain clients, the existing payroll systems have heavy customization based on union negotiations or their, their current business processes. 
And these, these heavily customized solutions aren't ready for transition in the cloud. And, and it's not advisable in some cases to take that to a pure, pure cloud model. Then, you know, some scenarios, cloud options don't always give uh, the customers the freedom to customize to their exact needs. And so companies have to spend the time to revise and change their business processes towards a more standardized approach. And then, and yeah, another, another challenge we're finding specifically for South Africa is that traditionally your cloud data has been stored outside of South Africa. And that's a big no-no for certain companies, specifically in the public sector. They want their data stored locally and, and they're required to store it locally in South Africa. So those are kind of some of the main, main challenges we, we face in the payroll space. Mm -hmm. Very realistic challenges. And again, it goes back to that narrative of it's one thing to just keep pushing the cloud narrative, but it's another thing to start inspecting and double clicking one level deeper and going, what are some of the um, uh, holdbacks and specific workloads? And how do we pipeline, the, pipeline these activities relevantly on our journey to the cloud? So, so on that note of um, solutions, how do we get around this, Tessa? You know, I'd, I'd love to say you do one, two, three, you wave a wand, um, yeah. you chant something like, together with ADAPT.IT, we achieve more, and, and it's done. But <laughs> the reality is, you know, that's, that's, that's not the case. There's no real cookie-cutter approach to solve these challenges. Um, for us, it helps that our HCM team have long-standing track, track records for success. Um, what works well for the team is aligning closely with the clients, identifying likely bumps in the road in advance and developing a payroll implementation roadmap that gives our customers the greatest possibility and chance uh, for success. In, in some cases, we give them the opportunity to put their as-is payroll solution into our cloud. It's SAP certified, it's highly secure and available. We cover legal country patches um, and it's hosted locally. And we found, we found this is a great bridge for, uh, to cloud for those that aren't ready or confident to make that jump just yet. And we allow them the time and space to, to look at their customizations, rework back to SAP standard, and, and giving them that time to get ready and transition into the cloud in their own time. Cloud is there. It continues to shape the way we do business in the future. And so it makes sense for, for businesses to evolve in order to make themselves relevant and, and more efficient. But we look at different ways to that that works best for the customer in their scenarios. All right. So is it a is it a safe thing for me to say then that um Realistically, when we look at this um, uh, conversation about payroll in particular, what's required is that we inspect that particular customer situation, that particular environment, and based on the infrastructure, based on that company's um, existing uh, platform investments that they have already you know, purchased or uh, have um, running, um, a decision should be made based on that particular customer situation. And we shouldn't try to advocate any kind of blanket approach, but we should be inviting the opportunity for these leaders to get into a dialogue that's very specific to the environment. Is that a, is that a fair summary, uh, Tessa? 100%, 100%. And just because certain models are moving, let's say they're moving to S4 HANA, uh, they're moving to the cloud and the ERP, they don't have to be held ransom by that and move payroll at the same time, right? There's they're different approaches, and Good. and yeah, it, it's best to find the one that works best for your company. Yeah, and I think that I would I just want to you know at the at the risk of overdoing this point, I want to just 
reiterate the fact that do not use payroll as a reason not to make a broader move towards the cloud. This can be done in a phased approach and you can single out the payroll function outside of the bigger deployment and, and, and keep that on the roadmap. And there are methods and systems in place to be able to move the bulk of your general ledger into the cloud with associated services, leaving payroll um, in some kind of on-premise format. The, 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 the specifics of that format should be looked at in your environment and should be discussed directly with you. And on that note, I'm going to say that all audience members, please keep the questions coming, put it into the Q&A box. Uh, more than that, um, request time, request some uh, post-event consultation um, with our speakers, um, even if you don't want to consult necessarily with our speakers, and if you would like some further information sent to you, or you'd like some kind of follow-up, please put that request into the um, into our survey, our post-event survey. The link has been shared in the chat box. Um, and um, I invite you to just become part of uh, you know, our post-event follow-ups by making very specific requests to us. So go ahead, we'll take that upon ourselves to ensure that we get around to absolutely every single request. So please make the best of the service. And in doing so, please also complete the quick survey. It's gonna take you nothing more than 30 seconds. It's all very quick. Um, uh, drop-downs uh, that you can just quickly select and you can just give us some feedback. What did you like about the show and what didn't you like about the show? Remember, we do this uh, for your benefit and enjoyment and for, your, uh, for you to get value from it. So we take your uh, feedback very seriously. Getting back to the conversation here, um, you know, uh, Nishit, I want to start confronting a very important point. And it's something I touched on a little bit earlier here. And the point is really about um, uh, deeply customized on-premise um, ERP systems. So as you know, um, South Africa is no different to many markets around the world where a very specific tier of customer um, in the earlier days of ERP, perhaps even MRP, um, we grew into our ERP systems as the business uh, grew and as the business evolved. So we, you know, bit by bit, phase by phase, we started doing more and more and more on-premise customizations. Back then, uh, you know, a few of us, um, if any, um, you know, believed that we'd get to a point where we're going to even move ERP into the cloud. So we didn't set up for that in advance. We wound up with these massive, massive, um, you know, um, heavily configured, heavily customized uh, on-premise uh, deployments that's now quite difficult to move into the cloud. Uh, what's your commentary on, on this particular situation? I, I always see technology as an enabler, and that's how, you know, my, my two tech kids into just doing technology has been. There will always be a solution available if you, if you really want to think about it, and you can brainstorm uh, you can break the puzzle down into multiple things, but there are always solutions available. And and that's that connects to the previous point as well when we were talking payroll. So technology is enabled, there is a solution. You just have to see how it fits you. Uh, now coming to uh, a typical uh, heavily customized on-prem ERP deployment uh, concern of customers, which is, which is not allowing them to move to cloud. Uh, the concern is actually not cloud, the concern is something else. We all know that legacy enterprise applications use a variety of third-party software components. And uh, and I'm sure most of you will agree uh, agree with that statement, right? Uh, you know, what is important to remember uh, that while moving an existing application to cloud, uh, the businesses which were with these third-party softwares, now these third-party components also need to be installed. And that's where confusion start, uh, as there are a number of third-party software components which are obsolete or not cloud-ready. So the fears come from there. It's not really the cloud fear. Uh, when they say customized on-prem ERP deployment, they're not talking of uh, third-party components. 
which probably are not cloud ready. And when I say third party components, sometimes it is the customizations which they did for their business when those features were not available uh, into the ERP systems. You know, over a period of time, products have matured. Uh, there is a fix available for most of the business requirements now in one form or the other. Uh, you know, so what I feel is uh, when an enterprise opts for cloud computing, it needs to revisit its existing infrastructure before migrating its application and data to the cloud. Uh, you know, the enterprises have to explore a way to speed up cloud migration rather than holding themselves back saying, oh no, we have got a customized on-prem ERP problem uh, and what do we do about it? Uh, we we can help, uh, others can help. Uh, what you need to do is, is, a, is a readiness assessment of your environment to move to cloud uh, so that you know your problem areas. And once you know your problem areas to, to provide a response to it, uh, and, and that might not come as an IT team. It might come from the business who is okay. Now, they, they may not need a third-party application. They may say, yeah, I know the product had uh, uh, has now got a component which can address my business need. Uh, let's move to cloud and let's adopt that. That's the mentality business can now support IT with. So, so I feel, uh, though it's a challenge, there is a solution available. Mm. Uh, to that extent, uh, uh, the answer is do a readiness assessment and see where you stand in terms of your readiness. And, and that that might be a solution to your problem. Mm, mm -hmm. I, I really like that. And I think that it feeds very much into what uh, Tessa said earlier about, you know, instead of seeing um, movement to cloud as one single thing across this entire application base, it's really important to like, um, you know, separate out all of the different uh, um, components and say what are what can we move with greater ease and what do we have to leave on premise as you said it's very very true um there were there were many instances in the past where uh, features were built just because they weren't readily available but today is a different day and we got a lot of those features out the box sitting there just waiting to be activated in a cloud scenario so uh, what a business might have paid quite a lot for in the past they could get, now just get very easily out the box with the with a, with a single click. And I think businesses need to start seeing that they, they, there is a lot more out-the-box features available today that they, they were forced to customize in the past. So to move into the cloud is not going to be the same level of burden. It's not going to be the same level of, of, of um, hard work because um, factually, um, they had to do that work back then, 10, 15 years ago, maybe 20 years ago, but they just don't have to do that work from the ground up uh, today. Right. Yes, some mild configuration, but not necessarily the same um, depth of um, you know coding, for example. Um, so on that note, Tessa, let's talk about this thing called rapid deployment, because now we're talking about things like mild, light configurations, etc. On the one hand, you have this you know great amount of promise that rapid deployment will get you the world's fanciest uh, ERP in a week. And then on the other side of that equation, there's this constant fear that we absolutely cannot migrate to the cloud. So just give us your professional insight. Is this thing called rapid de deployment real? Very good question. And um, the answer is yes and no. <laughs> so it, it can work well when you fit into a box. When, um, yeah, there's some companies that are made for that box. And um, you get companies that are kind of happy to start in that box and kind of progress forward. And then you get companies that are squares, right? And they, they, they're not going to fit in that box. Hmm. Um, and, and we at Adapt our team, we've seen all sorts of shapes and sizes, and, and we've used this to mold different approaches. We've developed accelerators, we've got some templates, and, and we, our aim is to help 
customers reduce investment cost, enhance the business case, and, and shorten time to value. And for us, it's, it's really a time to value consideration. Um, the approach itself hasn't just changed from a solution point of view. You can look into deployment pro approaches uh, and how they've evolved, right? We now talk Scrum, we talk Agile, and it's all really real. Customers no longer want that lengthy implementation with kind of this big bang at the end and you're stuck with all these problems uh, swept into one period. We've got to kind of try to fix it. We've been in those trenches and, and it's painful. So customers are looking for incremental value, kind of bite-sized pieces that they can consume and manage and expose that value to their business in, in quick time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that um, it is it is important for us to note that uh, this concept of a rapid deployment is probably a little bit more real than we think. It's uh, no longer this concept that was just promised as it might have been many years ago. But today it's very much, um, uh, you know, a, a, a far more realistic com um, concept. And I and I really like your insights on that, uh, Tessa. I think that, um, you know, it's also important for us to perhaps go ahead and, and suggest that, uh, you know, as companies confront this journey to the cloud, you know, under the remote working format, it is important to start noting that, hey, you know, in that first quarter of your deployment, uh, go for as vanilla as possible, you know. So the way you stage your deployment is also important, like try to start as light as possible and, and, and then go into the deeper and heavier configurations over time. So even as you switch cloud on, it doesn't have to be an overnight thing. It can be phased in into the long term, which means that that initial deployment is probably going to be more rapid than you think, because we, again, not going to do everything in one go. It's going to be phased in over time and you're going to just turn more and more uh, features on over time as we check that everything is working. So it's really one of those, um, you know, it's beyond just a technology point. This is also a mindset point. It's also a strategy point. How do we go about designing these plans? Good. Uh, we have a question here from Peace. How much does it cost for businesses to implement cloud and remote working in case of financial challenges and growth? Big question there, Peace. What I'm going to suggest that you do in this particular instance is that you uh, complete a survey and that you request some follow-up uh, consultation so this question can be answered with you one-to-one. -one. I think it's going to be safe for us to do that in this particular instance. Um, for the rest of our audience, please feel free to keep these questions coming. Uh, ensure that uh, you make your voice heard. We will I will I will put each of your questions forward to the to the panelists. Okay, good. So let's move on to this point that Nishit mentioned earlier, which is security. Security was one of those four big points. Um, Nishit, tell us this concept of moving to the cloud, putting uh, you know um, fundamental business uh, data, customer data, the heart of the business into the cloud presents a security risk to a lot of business owners. Um, what are your views on the security risk? Yeah, uh, Kirsten, uh, very interesting topic when, when it comes to clouds. Uh, but before I call specifics, you know, I'm going to give you probably a list of risks the way I see it. Uh, but before I call those specific, I always tell my customers that some of these risks are linked to weak cloud security measures of the services, such as storing data without controls, um, uh, such as encryption or lack of multi-factor authentication to access the service. Uh, these are risks. Uh, but can be mitigated, not that there are no solutions. Uh, pardon me on this point. I myself is a business person. I'm not a security professional. So without going into technical details of the risk, uh, but still highlighting risk, I feel uh, that revolves around is the uh, loss of theft of intellectual property, uh, compliance violations that always uh, are a fear and, and, and regulatory actions associated with that. 
loss of control over end user actions malware infections that uh, unleash a targeted attack uh, which has been a problem you know it's a it's a known problem even with our mobiles now uh, leave aside cloud or leave aside uh, applications uh, contractual breaches with customers or business partners you know uh, where 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 a cloud provider might have said something you would have interpreted different and now you feel there is something wrong with the contract itself uh, diminished customer trust uh, for various reasons uh, we can explore them and there is a long list that can that can run when we talk of diminished customer trust uh, more additions to that is data breach requiring disclosures and notifications to victims you know i just spoke of gdpr uh, increased customer churn revenue losses so 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 i guess the list will go on but these are some of those uh, risks that we see uh, in the public cloud uh, talking to you know just just a specific around uh, revenue losses you know uh, news of the target data breaches uh, that made headlines and many customers stayed away from target stores uh, for the busy holiday season you know leading to a 46% drop in company's quarterly profit now this is public forum news right and and now you're seeing it uh, uh, it directly impacting their brand uh, anyways they are impacted on their revenues because of what has happened and now now a brand image right which is getting tarnished because of now news being available into the public forum so so i feel uh, the list can be long but yes i feel these eight nine things that i spoke about are the real uh, uh, business risk and uh, of course then the specifics of technicalities around encryptions and other things Mm-hmm. Very comprehensive um, set of uh, risks there that you called out. And I definitely think that, um, you know, again, I'm going to go back to this point of, you know, have let's have the conversation. I think that this idea of not doing something because of a fear that there is a security issue. I think at this stage, we don't really have the luxury of just being able to avoid something entirely just because of a fear of something. Uh, we need to like uh, double click. We need to explore. We need to have a look at what's happening. What's the detail there? Um, you know, are there specific security uh, solutions, mitigations that we can put in place that would still enable the solution without compromising our our data? Um, and I think particularly as we've seen major investments happening in South Africa uh, from an infrastructure point of view by some of the big vendors, uh, the multinational vendors, I think that, you know, um, there are so many options available to South African companies today, uh, the likes of which many other African countries do not enjoy. Like we have we have big data centers that have been placed on our shores. And I think this is definitely worth looking into. So, again, let's have the discussion. Let's see. Um, in your particular situation, do you really have something to worry about or should we just go ahead and, um, you know, at least start the conversation and, 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 and pace things out and see what's going to work in terms of your different data sets and your different uh, types of data, what can go into the cloud, what has to stay on premise, etc. So I definitely think this is a conversation that should be had. And again, if you want to follow up with any of our expert panelists or you want to follow up directly with us, just make sure that you're hitting that survey link, you're completing a survey for sure, and that you are putting in a request there for some follow-up consultation. So let's talk um, here, um, Tessa, how about you give us some, um, some, some custom examples, some interesting custom examples? So, so I'll talk to a payroll scenario. Um, a common example that comes to mind and has occurred most recently within a government entity is that customers have concern around payroll data in a shared cloud. Um, they often worry when we talk about like a, the syndicates, everyone's on the same system and therefore they believe that they, everyone has access to that same data. And this simply isn't true. 
So we sat with the customer. We took the time to show them the, secu- the superior security checks, the data validations, and other me- measures that we offer in, in our cloud instance. And when they started to see that, it's, it's allowed them to see the value stack up. And that's, we were talking about it earlier, but you don't need the, the infrastructure and the heavy resource to manage this, this old on-prem type environment. You leave that to us as the experts. And, and then you let uh, that company focus on running their business. And they haven't looked back since. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Um, uh, Nishith, how about you? Anything that stands out to you? I always say uh, it's a puzzle. Get the puzzle right. Uh, you will not uh, really have problems. Uh, I remember a case, uh, and, and I briefly touched on that when I spoke of the GBR compliance and all. I remember money exchange trying to adopt uh, a cloud, and they're now having a fear. You know, money exchange uh, can we really run on a cloud? Uh, things can go wrong. Oh, we've seen this in the past where we had breaches on our normal on-prem things. So uh, is, is the cloud repl- deployment a real story for us? So yes, the way Tessa said, uh, leave it to us. Uh, we are here to help. Uh, there are solutions available. We know it's a puzzle. Don't do a hit and trial. Uh, uh, get it right. Uh, do your readiness assessment. See what is uh, what can go wrong. Look at your scenarios uh, uh, that can go wrong. Get the answers right and then adopt it. So yes, uh, multiple examples, and this was just one of those that I had quoted. Right, right. I think this is a great, uh, great um, uh, pair of examples that you guys have gone through. Let's let's um, confront one of the big topics here, people. And Tessa, I believe that you are the right person to discuss um, uh, to to talk about people, right? Uh, this this topic about people, the 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 concept of remote work that extends beyond technology and into the realm of culture, how people work. Um, you know. What does this concept of moving our ERP to the cloud, like what does it have to do with people? Does it have anything to do with people inside and outside the company? So KG, yeah, um, we've been, from a kind of COVID angle, we've been connecting with our customers and our employees for regular catch-ups and and lockdown's been tough eh, for for everyone. If if you're not careful, you can find yourself landing up in these very clinical, agenda-driven, specific interactions and engagements. We find ourselves sitting in back-to-back calls from morning to night. And in the beginning of lockdown, there was a definite increase in productivity. I saw it in my team. We saw it in our division. But everyone has their limits. Uh, lockdown fatigue is a real, it's a real thing. <laughs> and people need that, that personal connect, right? So we find ourselves having to adapt. We find ways to interact remotely. You have to introduce workflows and processes for something that used to be a simple walk across the office floor to go and bounce an idea off a colleague or that huddle around the table to do a final review of of a proposal that we're about to send out, uh, give it a thumbs up. All of this has changed, right? You have to find remote ways to connect and you find yourself having to book time in people's calendars for what used to be discussed over a cup of coffee or at the smoker's den, right? So, so things are different. Um, as Adapter T, we, we strongly encourage the cameras on and all calls. Um, it, the entire feel and etiquette of the meeting changes when you can actually see each other. And this is encouraged across all levels. We do it in strat sessions, team interactions, checkpoints, training, wherever we can. And it, it helps kind of bridge that gap and, and build co- closer relationships. Not only between our team members, 
but we've got clients nationally and globally, right? And now, now I get to sit and chat to a client face to face through a computer. But often I've never met these guys in, in person before. And now I actually get to see them and they get to see me. So it adds a bit of a different edge for someone sitting, say, in, in Singapore when we're sitting here. And, and I have to tell you something, I'm, I'm super proud of Adapt. I see how they've driven engagement with, with employees specifically during this time. Hmm. We've had divisions, divisions doing kind of lockdown workouts. The guys wake up early and kind of do like a mini CrossFit session together as a team. We've got guys doing Friday, Friday afternoon drinks over teams, kind of breaking down the week, uh, dissecting it and looking forward to what's coming up ahead. And, and our team specifically, we've done some online games. We have the latest thing, Adaptionary, which is our own version of an online Pictionary. I can confirm no one in our team is going to be pivoting to a newly found renowned artist, but we've had some really good laughs. We've got people's kids involved and it's, it's yeah, it's a, it's a different element, um, but you've got to make it fun and, and you've got to have that level of trust as well, right? Um, you're not clocking hours anymore. People can sit in front of a laptop and, and not necessarily be productive. So you're looking for that value. You're looking um, yeah, for, for different outcomes from people these days. Yeah, fantastic. I love the concept of adaptionary. If ever you're looking for an extra player, if you're short of a player, feel free to reach out to me. Um, I would love to practice my Pictionary skills some more. Uh, so Ilana <laughs> Stein uh, says the following um, in response to your answer there, uh, Tessa. Agreed, beginning was good, but those still working from home are struggling without the social interaction. Need to do that at least once every now and then, face-to-face, -face, not only online. Very important um, words there, and I think all these are very valuable inputs in terms of understanding the people dilemma that we're experiencing right now. This is just so, it's, it's, it's not just about systems, you know, and I, if anything, the one thing we should as business leaders be doing better than anything else right now is seeking out ways to have technology or systems enable that people dimension. And to do it the other way around, just to have work being done for the sake of work is completely, in my opinion, the wrong way to design. The correct way to design is to just continue to contribute and enable that people interaction so much more. The introduction of workflow that, that is people-centric, that's what's needed right now. All right, on that note, we have come, uh, come to the end of our time. Uh, we haven't been able to get through all of the questions and there are one or two um, things that have come through that I haven't been able to get around, uh, get around to. However, having said that, you still have the opportunity for post-event uh, feedback and dialogue and contribution. Uh, so before you leave our show, uh, please can you complete the survey. I want to thank our um, expert panelists for their fantastic contribution, really good practical insight, really good um, golden nuggets that we got today um, you know, that businesses can actually sit with now and think about and actually take some action on. You know, these are some real pearls of wisdom that we got today. So thank you to our speakers. Um, and on that Thanks on that for having note, us, KG, and thanks to the listeners. Yeah, that's, that's, that's awesome. And on that note, uh, we've come to the end of the show. Uh, you can catch uh, more of our podcasts, more of our webinars at, the, um, at our YouTube channel. So feel free to go ahead and check them out there. If, you would, if you'd like to share this um, event, you can just share the link of the um, YouTube video with your colleagues if you'd like them to get some of these insights. And feel free to join us on our next show coming up soon. Take care, and that's a wrap. Thank you, Kate.